this January, uh, just a few months ago, Britt Hume, a guest commentator appearing on Fox News, was talking about the situation that the famous golfer Tiger Woods had found himself in after revelations of his misconduct had been made public. In Britt Hume's comments, he said, The extent to which he can recover seems to me to depend on his faith. He's said to be a Buddhist. I don't think that faith offers the kind of forgiveness and redemption that is offered by the Christian faith. So my message to Tiger would be, Tiger, turn to the Christian faith and you can make a total recovery. Well, it didn't take long for a firestorm of criticism to descend upon Mr. Hume. Scorn, contempt, mockery, and stunned disbelief at what he said came from seemingly every angle. Television, radio, newspapers, um, the internet, they were all channels of this reaction. I've chosen only one columnist and his words as an example of what people were saying. He wrote, on its face, Hume's remarks do seem to suggest that Christianity is superior to Buddhism. And the idea that someone should abandon their own faith for yours does reek of arrogance. Those who are offended by Hume's remarks aren't out in left field somewhere. Now, I'm not suggesting that what Mr. Hume chose to say at that time and place was the best choice. I'm not actually making a comment on that. I'm bringing this up because I want um, rather to use his comments and those of the reaction against him to illustrate the thinking that is widespread in our culture today. Britt Hume said this. He said, I don't think that the Buddhist faith offers the kind of forgiveness and redemption that's offered by the Christian faith. So my message to, to Tiger is, join the Christian faith. And his responders wrote that his remarks suggested that Christianity was superior to Buddhism and the idea that someone would abandon their own faith for yours reeks of arrogance. That is the environment that you and I live in. It is considered arrogant and offensive to suggest that anyone abandon their faith for the sake of following Christ. It is inconceivable in the minds of many that any intelligent, educated person could hold the opinion that his or her faith was the only faith that is true and right and that all other faiths are actually wrong and inadequate to get a person to heaven. That is the culture that you live in. And I live there too. You know, in recent, uh, in about the last hundred years or so, there's been basically three views held by people, in, in, in our society anyway, three views of how Christ was to be understood in relation to other religions. The first is the traditional view that Christ is the only Savior of human beings and that, that salvation comes by explicit faith in him. That's the traditional view, which some call the exclusive view, meaning it's Christ is the exclusive way to heaven. 
The second view is called the inclusive view. And listen to this. See, they, the people who hold that view, they also affirm that Jesus Christ is the Savior, but they add that he saves different people in different ways, especially through their perhaps at times through their own religion. So Christ is the savior and he may save people through Islam or, but they're still putting their faith in him or Christ is the savior through different religions, but it's still Jesus who saves. That's the inclusive view. And then the one that's most prevalent today is the pluralistic view. The pluralistic view not only tolerates the different religions, but actively affirms their independent saving validity. And therefore, they deny the uniqueness and the finality of Jesus Christ. You see, in the pluralistic view, a Jew is saved through his Judaism. A Muslim is saved through his Islam. A Hindu is saved through his or her Hinduism. So we have this traditional view. We have this uh, inclusive view that Jesus is still the Savior, but he saves people in different ways. And then we have the pluralistic view, which is, hey, whatever the religion is, they're all roads to the same place. Well, which is, which is right? Which of those views is right? You see, our society is telling us that the pluralistic view is the correct one. And that seems on the surface to maintain peace so we don't argue with each other and it avoids conflict. I think it might actually also avoid logic (laughs) for those who care about that. Think about it this way. Think about it this way. Let's take the six largest blocks of religions in the world. You know what they are? I'll give it to you. People who keep these statistics say this. There's the largest one is Christianity of one sort or another, Catholic, Protestant, whatever. The people who count these aren't trying to be defining about whether a person is really born again or not. So this is just Christian. It's the largest group. Second largest group is Islam. The third largest is secular mindset. They're either agnostics or atheists or they don't actually have a a belief in God. That's the third largest. The fourth is Hinduism. The fifth is Chinese traditional religion. And the sixth is Buddhism. So you take those six, Christianity, Islam, secular. What was the, what was the next one? Huh? Good. I was afraid I couldn't find it in my notes. Hinduism, Chinese traditional, and Buddhism. And write down what they believe and compare them to each other. Line them up and compare them. Friends, they can't be all right because they're, they're contradicting each other. And, and there might be a few things that all of them hold. Actually, it doesn't work they, because the secular are in there and they don't believe anything. of it. So you've got, there's nothing that they all agree on. And you might take three or four of them and find some things more on the list that they agree with each other than others, but they don't agree with each other. They can't all be right. See, we we don't teach any other subject in school and say that we should give equal validity to all the views and we shouldn't criticize one view over another and we shouldn't try to convince someone to change their opinion. 
We don't do that in anything. We've got kids in one of the local, the local uh, school districts here. Last time I checked, they had a thing called the debating club. Think about it for a minute. What is that all about? You know, they pick a subject and say, you guys pick that side, we pick this side, and we're going to argue about it. And we're going to try to convince you that you're wrong and we're right. And when, the day, when it's all over, we're going to take a vote and see who won. They debate about issues. The assumption is somebody's wrong, somebody's right. Let's find the weakness in your argument. Let's prove you wrong. When I was, I worked for a little while, uh, it was a really cool job. Um, I worked for the National Forest Service for a while in the, one of the Northeast Experiment Stations. And I worked with a bunch of wildlife biologists. And it so happened that at the time that I was there, the head scientist that I was working with, it was his turn to be the editor of one of the major wildlife management journals in the country. I'm sure you guys probably subscribe to that journal. You probably have it in your... But anyway, you know, every field of work has its own journals that people write in. So he was the editor. And so every day these, these papers would be, com- would be coming through the mail to him. And, and there, were, there were people out there that were doing experiments and studies on things. Um, like rough grouse. You want to know what rough grouse is? It's not your husband on a Monday morning. R- rough grouse and birds, you know, the little birds. We, did, we, we studied them there. So somebody studies rough grouse and he, and he gets all this data and he, he writes it up and he publishes it. And then some of us, others that were studying rough grouse would say, that doesn't look right. That's not right. That's not what our data says. And so we put our stuff together and write an article and take issue with them and say, no, 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 that's not right. You didn't look at enough data or you, you looked at your data wrong. And, and we would, we would have a conversation, so to speak. And it was all predicated on the, on the idea that something's right and something's wrong. We're trying to figure out which is which. We didn't, we didn't write these articles saying, you know, I think we're all right. Rough (laughs) ground. We knew that wasn't right. The give and take, the arguing, so to speak, the hashing out about things is all done with a, a presupposition that some things are right and some are wrong. And the conversation pushes our understanding forward. It's actually a good thing. We're saying, in essence, to each other, you and I can't be right at the same time. Let's think about this some more. But in matters of faith, the culture wants us to say, eh, everybody's fine, don't argue. You're all right. Maybe the culture is just trying to avoid arguments. I wonder sometimes, I have a suspicion that perhaps even without people understanding it, there's something much deeper. They're actually trying to avoid the claims of Jesus Christ. In the, into this crazy culture in which we live, today's scripture passage speaks. We've been working our way through 1 Timothy. Take your Bibles and turn there to 1 Timothy chapter 2. Last week we looked at verses 5, 6, and 7. 
and we focused a little bit more on the end of verse 6 and all of 7. I'm going to look today at verses 5 and the first part of verse 6. It's up here on the screen. For there is one God, it says, for there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. There is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all. The Bible clearly announces that there is only one way to come into a right relationship with Almighty God, and that way is through Jesus Christ. You notice it says there, there is one mediator, not, not five, one, not four, one, not three, one, not two, one. That's what the Bible says. There is one mediator between us and God. You can reject the Bible if you want. That's your choice. You can actually do that if you'd like. But you cannot accept the Bible as God's word and still hold on to the idea that there are more ways to get to God than through Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us there's one way, and that's Jesus Christ. Now, why does the Bible say this? Why is it that it must be this way? Well, I want to look at three reasons from from this text right here, these these two verses. Three reasons why the Bible says it this way. And I guess uh, maybe it's not really fair to call them all three reasons. Maybe it's three facets of the argument, but I'll say it that way. The first is this, it points, this passage points to the oneness of God. Notice there again in verse 5, it says, for there is one God. Now, some people believe that there are more than one gods. Um, I'm told in some of my reading that I've done that Hinduism has perhaps even millions of deities. So if there are many, many deities, maybe there's different ways There might be lots of different ways then. But of course, you're getting to one of the deities and not all of them, I guess, or whatever it is. You have that problem. But the scriptures teach that there's, there's one God. And so this one God is going to reveal to us the way, or maybe there could be maybe theoretically more ways to get to him or not, but the idea is there, there's one God, so we receive from him the way we let him tell us. How do we get to him? And he's saying there's, there's, there's one of me and there's one way to me. And that one way to me is the second reason. I want us to look here, spend a little bit more time here on the person of Jesus Christ. There's the oneness of God, but then there's the person of Jesus Christ. And by that, I mean the way he is, 
the way he is made up. Notice in verse 5 it says, There's one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. The man Christ Jesus. Now, in, in this uh, book already and in other places in the scripture, it's very clear that, that Jesus Christ is God. That he is, he is the second person of our three-person deity. Our God, our God is the Father, Son, and Spirit. So he has existed already before he was born there uh, in Bethlehem. So we know that. This verse is not denying that he is God. It's just drawing attention to the fact that he is also man. The man, Christ Jesus, it says there. So here is Jesus Christ and the scriptures teach that he is both God and man together. It's very interesting. He had to be, and you remember, we're talking about a mediator here. In order to mediate between us and God, our mediator had to be able somehow to put his hand on our shoulder and God's shoulder at the same time. He had to be one of Adam's race to represent Adam's race to God. And yet he had to be God in order to have the capacity to bear the sins of Adam's race. Amen? It wouldn't do to be just a man or even a perfect man, perhaps a sinless man with no, no sin that he could then go up to God and say, I'll take their sins on myself. I'll pay the penalty for them. If that's what it was, God would have looked at him maybe and said, well, that's real big of you. I'm, I'm happy. Pick which one. <laughs> Because you're only one guy. So which one are you going to die for? Because you can only die for one because you're just a man. But now, no, this is the son of God who has become a human. And now being God, also man, being God now, he has the capacity to die for many. Amen? He can now die for all, as it says here. Rather than just for one. Turn with me to Luke chapter chapter 1, verse 26. Let's, let's have a Christmas message here again. Let's remind ourselves. Let scripture remind us of, of the person of Jesus Christ. The great miracle and the great... It's a mystery, but the great truth in it. Look at verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Nazareth, a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call him Jesus. 
He will be great and we will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy child shall be called the son of God. And so God designs a way that that his son becomes a son of a woman. And so that this one, this holy child, as it says, Jesus Christ is God in human flesh. He is a human, and yet he has not inherited the, the sin of humanity. He's able to walk in purity without sin. He has, he has no sin nature. The guilt of sin is not on him, like for you and I when we were born. But he is human. He is Human. Some, some people ask, how could he be actually human if he had no sin nature? Remember Adam and Eve before they sinned? Remember? There was a time when we didn't have sin and we were still human. That's what Jesus was. He was human but sinless. And he's God. And so he's the God-man. The God-man, Jesus Christ, he is completely unique. Amen? Muhammad never professed to be God and man. Buddha didn't profess to be that. No world religion, none of their founders of the world religion claimed to be God and man. None were. But Jesus Christ... The person of Christ is absolutely unique, completely different than any other religion and its claims. Jesus Christ, the God-man. And so the threefold reason, or it's a package together, on why is it that there is no salvation anywhere except in Jesus Christ It starts with the oneness of God, and then it goes to the person of Jesus Christ, who he is, the God-man. And then thirdly, the work of Jesus Christ. What is it that he did? And look here again at verse 6 now. Well, it's short, so I'll read it again. For there's one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, now verse 6, who gave himself... As a ransom for all. It's very interesting in the, you remember the New Testament was originally written in Greek. And in the Greek, there's, there's a way to say ransom or to give as a ransom. And then there's another way that compounded two words together that heightened the fact that there's a substitution going on here. And that's what happens in this verse. Some Greek scholars say, <laughs> um, that if there is no other way in the Greek language to make the point clearer than right here, that Jesus Christ substituted himself, he gave himself as a payment for somebody else. Amen? That's what was going on here in his death. He gave himself. 
He was a substitute ransom. And this is beautiful. For you see, this is what he did. For sinful human beings, he put himself himself as the payment so that the punishment that the sinner deserved to get from God, Jesus said, he put himself in the way and said, I'll, I'll take that. I'll pay that for this sinner over here. And then God poured out the punishment on Jesus. It had my name on it. But Jesus stood in between me and God and it fell on Christ. Jesus took it for me. And it, and it meant he died. And then he was buried. But now he's my mediator. Amen? How could he be my mediator? Well, it's because he rose from the dead. We said this last week, but in this little passage here is the birth, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When it says the man, Christ Jesus, it's ringing out and reminding us that he was born a man. When it says he gave himself as a ransom, it reminds us of his death on the cross for us. And when it uses the word mediator, it reminds us that he didn't stay in the tomb, but he rose from the dead and ascended into heaven and represents us now before the Father. Amen? And so the one who came from heaven was born, lived, died on the cross for us, was buried, rose from the dead, has ascended into heaven. He is the mediator between God and men. And you see, friend, there is nobody like Christ and there is no one who did what he did. Amen? There isn't anybody who did Muhammad do that. He doesn't even, in the Quran, it doesn't even say that he, it doesn't say that he did that. Who else? Buddha. Who else? Who? No one. There is one God and there's one mediator between God and men. It's the man Christ Jesus. There is no other way. There's a man named uh, Dr. Jones who worked uh, among uh, Hindus in India for a long time. And I, I read about this one incident. It says, Dr. Jones often gave lectures on Christianity to Hindu audiences in India. At one such meeting, the Hindu governor of the state was the chairman. During his opening introduction, this man said, I shall reserve my remarks for the close of the address, for no matter what the speaker says, I will find parallel things in our sacred books. So he said, he's going to talk about Christianity. I'll just let him talk, and then I'll get up, and I'll show you how we have the same things, parallel things in our sacred books. After Dr. Jones spoke, the man was at a loss for words. Dr. Jones had not presented things. He had presented a person, Jesus Christ, and that person was not found in their sacred books. And the thing that Christ did that no other religion even claims that their leaders did was to die and rise again for the sins of the world. Not Christian religions that have gone astray or whatever or entrapments in our denominations and all, and we can be guilty of that too. None of us are perfect, but not in, in all of that, but in real Christianity, 
Real Christianity is about Jesus Christ. Amen? And there is no other. You line up those six world religions. Friends, we are in a class totally by ourselves, And it's because of Jesus Christ. It's because of who he is. And it's because of what he did. There, there is nothing else. There's no category of any world religion that compares to him. That compares to him. Why is there only one way to God? It's because God is one. And because he himself became one of us. And as one of us, he offered himself to satisfy the the punishment that you and I deserved. And took it out of the way for us. There is no other. Amen? There is no other. And so we see that the, the pluralistic view that I mentioned before, it just doesn't fit with scriptures. To say that, wow, everybody's valid and, you know, just stop fighting. And it, it, it's ridiculous. It doesn't, it doesn't work and it doesn't fit with the scriptures. But, but what about that one, that second one I was talking about, the inclusive view that it's Jesus saving people, but he saves people through their own systems apart from explicit faith in him. If you want, turn to Romans chapter 3, verse 21. I'm sorry, I don't have the page numbers this morning. Usually I have page numbers written down and I forgot to do that. But we'll end, we'll close looking at this passage. Romans chapter 3, verses 21 to 30. The pluralistic view doesn't work. But that other view that was a little bit in between, that other view is like, well, maybe... Maybe it's Jesus saving people, but he does it in, in, uh, through their other religions. So people can somehow be saved through their religion, and it's Jesus who saves them, but they don't really know that. They're not like actually putting their faith in Jesus Christ, but it's Jesus saving them somehow. There's a lot of people who believe that. Listen to Romans 3, verse 21. But now... Apart from the law, the Old Testament law, the righteousness of God has been manifested. It's been made known, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. The whole Old Testament bears testimony to it. Verse 22, even the righteousness of God. Okay, how do we get it? Through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. So those who believe, they're believing in the person of Jesus Christ. So through faith in Jesus Christ, we get counted righteous before God. And the verse ends, verse 22, for there's no distinction. He's saying it doesn't matter who you are. You could be Jew, you could be Gentile, you could be Muslim, you could be Hindu. It doesn't matter what the background of you is, your background It says, verse 23, for all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. Everyone has fallen short. So we've all fallen short of the glory of God, but we're being justified. That means we're being declared okay by God. Listen, as a gift by his grace through the redemption, which is in Christ Jesus. We receive forgiveness of sins. As a gift. 
God, in the person of his son, comes to earth, completely unique person, God and man together. He does what no one else could do. He ransoms us by offering himself, substituting himself for us. And then we get, we get the benefits of that by believing, only by believing. We receive it as a gift. Amen? That's what's being said here. As a gift. We're justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption. That's the death of Christ. You know, what is being said here is another completely unique part about Christianity. Take those six. You can separate the... The one over here, real Christianity, just put it over here. And I can tell you something that's true about all of the other five. Well, maybe the secularists, you know, they're, they're kind of wandering in the wilderness there. But, but it's all assist. It, whether or not you're going to make it to heaven, whether or not things are going to be okay, it all hinges on you. It all hinges on what you do. Whether you follow the rules well enough, whether you're good enough, they might have different sets of rules, but it all comes down to you, except in Jesus Christ. And right there, it's a gift. Jesus, the real God says, you bozos have messed up so bad, you can't fix it. I'm going to come down and do it for you. And he comes down and does it in Christ and offers it as a gift and say, now believe in Jesus Christ and it's all yours. Amen. That in itself also makes real Christianity absolutely in a category by itself. There is no world religion like that, except that. And then it goes on, you see, and because that's true, look at verse 27, Romans 3, 27. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. Oh, nuts. You know, I can't boast. You see, if I'm a Muslim, if I'm a Hindu, if I'm a Chinese traditionalist, if I'm a all these guys, or if I'm a perversion of Christianity, a perverted part of Christianity, I, I think it depends on me. And so I work really hard. And when I get to heaven, I get to brag about it. That's what he's saying. Where's the boasting? Did you get made right with God because of how good you are? If, if you did, you get the boast. But he's saying, where is the boasting? It's excluded. See that in verse 27? By what kind of law? In other words, did you get there by, how did you get right with God? Of works? That means of, of you working? No, but by a law of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since indeed God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith is one. There's one God. There's one mediator between God and men. It's the man Christ Jesus. And the way you get connected to that man Christ Jesus is by believing explicitly in him. Amen? So that second view, maybe God saves, maybe it's Christ that saves people, but through other religions, no. People of all religions get saved the same way by seeing Jesus Christ for who he is and believing in him. There is no other way. There is no other way. And that's why we find verses in the Bible like Acts 4.12 
And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. And Jesus himself, you remember John fourteen six said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Friends, when I was looking, when we came, if you're a guest here this morning, we're, we're working our way through the book of 1 Timothy. So when I, when I came to this, to this passage, I felt compelled to, 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 to bring this to our attention this morning. Because you and I live in a culture where we're accused of being arrogant for even just saying what I've just said. But friends, we cannot, we cannot bend. And, and we cannot be kowtowed into submission to not speak the truth. There is one God and there's one mediator between God and man. It's the man Christ Jesus. And we aren't, we aren't uh, arrogant. We're not ignorant either. We're not arrogant to say it. We can be arrogant and shame on us if we are. But there will always be people in our society that will accuse us of being arrogant or close-minded or whatever word they choose, intolerant. That's a great one to get labeled with that. They'll accuse us of that even when we give them no grounds for it. So what do we do? Do we cease to speak the truth? For you see, the very people who criticize us are the ones that need the Lord. And the loving thing to do is just to be gracious. And then when we get the chance to speak the truth and say, you know what? We've all sinned, me and you. But I got good news for you. There's a mediator between us and God. And his name is Jesus Christ. And all you need to do is trust in him. And you'll have what he died on the cross to give you. There's another, uh, another application of this to our life, though, too. And I, I, wanna, I just want to say it again. You remember when we were in verse 1? First uh, Timothy two one, it was all about prayer. This whole context here is about. It, it all started with prayer. Verse one. First of all, then I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings, be made on behalf of all men. And then in verse eight, right after this, it says, "Now therefore, I want the men in every place to pray." If there's one God and there's one mediator between God and men, we need to pray. That's what's being said here. Then let's pray. And let's pray to that one God through that one mediator and ask him to work in our neighbor's hearts and our co-workers' hearts. Uh, our student, this fellow students in school, the people that we rub shoulders with, let's pray that God would work in them the way he's worked in me and in you and opened our eyes. Oh God, do it in them and use us in the process. We pray for other people. Amen? And that's really, that's really what our Fresh Encounter meetings are about is that we just come together, we worship him in prayer, and we, we pray and ask that he would so move, that he will save people and just move his purposes forward through us. That's, that's what we're doing. We pray. And not only do we pray, we're ready so that when the door opens... We speak. Amen. 
We don't always have an open door with our neighbor and our coworker or whoever. But when we do, we, we speak and we say something to them. And we don't have to sound like the preacher and we don't have to sound like Billy Graham. We don't have to have all the answers. We just speak and we tell them. And if nothing else, we tell them, <laughs> we tell them what Jesus has done in our, our lives and, and let God use it. One of the great witnesses in, in the Bible is in John chapter 9. Remember the man was born blind and he was healed and they're interrogating him. They're so upset. He said, look, this guy was a sinner. And I love it. The guy says, well, whether he was a sinner or not, I guess I don't know. But this I do know. I was blind, but now I see. Amen. <laughs> see, you don't have to have the answers. Sometimes we, we hold off on talking to people about Christ. We're like, what if they ask me a question? I don't know. Just read John 9 and, and laugh and say, it doesn't matter. Just tell them what Jesus has done for you. That's all. And let God take that and use it. We speak. And then lastly, in light of this truth of this morning, we examine ourselves. Let's not forget that. Have I trusted Jesus Christ and been made right with God? For there is only one way to be made right with God. It's through Jesus Christ. Where am I? That's what you want to ask yourself. Have I trusted in Christ? Really believed in him and been made right with God for there is no other way but through him. He's designed that you hear this message this morning. He arranged it so that you would hear it. If you have a doubt in your heart, if you're not sure whether you're actually rightly related to God through Jesus Christ or not, I ask that you would come and talk to me and let's get together. And let's talk about it and have God work in your life and make it clear to you where you stand with him.